My name is Michael Sullivan and I'm your host for today. Welcome to the next installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. The time is quarter past 12 here at Evolution HQ. I hope everyone listening has been enjoying the summer. Um, I am personally delighted um, after Man United beat Liverpool on Monday for the first time in years. So it feels good, feels very good. <laughs> so moving on to the actual podcast, I'm joined by a very, very a team of um a panel of very experienced engineering leaders um, to, dis- to, to discuss the topic from startup to scale up, what are the challenges? Um, before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, your journey up to now and what you're passionate about. And let's start off with you, Andy C. Hi, uh, I'm Andy, or for the purposes of this podcast and uh, kind of in general, actually, I'm more widely known as Clarky. Um, I'm CTO here at Evidence. Um, we're building a platform to help people run interviews, um, so record, transcribe, um, and then be able to provide data and analytics out the back of, back of that. Um, prior to this, I was a JavaScript consultant and then software engineer, um, helping teams build products and build their teams. And outside of uh, work, I'm a cyclist, surfer, and relatively new father. Welcome, Andy. Welcome, Andy. Great to have you on. Over to you, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Hi everyone. Uh, yeah, my name is Andrew. I'm VP of Engineering at Charmel. Uh, yeah, our company is building artificial intelligence for customer experience. Uh, we help uh, other businesses to um, yeah analyze customer feedback data and extract actionable insights uh, uh, in customer feedback data and ex- uh, improve customer experience in their products and services. Uh, speaking about me, uh, yeah, I started my career as a software engineer, uh, worked in uh, different companies, different industries, ranging from game dev, uh, travel tech, fintech, uh, and uh, yeah, also companies uh, of different stages uh, like Series A, Series B, and bigger enterprises. Um, outside of work, uh, yeah, I'm fond of climbing, park running, and also snowboarding, and also doing my uh, pet projects uh, from time to time. Brilliant. Welcome, Andrew. And Arsene? Hi, everyone. I'm Arsene. I'm a head of engineering at uh, Fusey. So Fusey is the company that is responsible for streamlining all the customer communication into one inbox, uh, or how I like to call it, uh, WhatsApp uh, business on steroids with all the channels that brings you uh, all the messages in. Um, so yeah, I joined around a year ago. Uh, before that, I was working at uh, WISE, formerly TransferWISE, as a engineering lead. Um, and I was working in mostly on customers that are sending large amounts of money and activities and notifications um, around the platform. Uh, in terms of my hobbies outside of work, um, I have actually a big problem around like spending most of my time doing the engineering as well. But I started forcing myself to do a bit of more physical activities outside of work. Um, so I started learning how to swim because that was on my bucket list for a long time and I started playing basketball again um, so yeah nice to meet you nice to meet you Alison and last but not least Victoria hi I'm Victoria I am a people and talent director at Beauty Pie we're a B2C e-commerce beauty and cosmetics uh, business the whole idea behind our um, setup is that we are democratizing the beauty industry so we buy from the world's best labs and deliver straight to consumer at rather great discounts uh, I've been with the business pretty much from inception. I was employee number 12, and we're now Series B, 180 headcount. My background was very much in people and talent roles across retail, uh, right away from luxury to high street, um, and outside of work. I enjoy anything to do with water, so paddleboarding, open water swimming, 
generally being outside. Welcome, Victoria. Got a couple of swimmers on the podcast today. And surf, well, Andy's a, hopefully a better surfer than me. I, I had a little go in Bali back in the day, but sounds like Clark is more advanced than myself. Um, so, yeah, welcome, everyone. It's great to have you on. Um, and let's get straight into the questions. So would you like to kick things off, Clarky? Yeah. Um, so here at Evidence, we're still a relatively small team. Um, so I was wondering if anyone on the panel could shed some light on what, what a critical hire businesses tend to leave too late uh, when starting to grow. And what are the telltale signs that you've left it too late? Great question. Like it, like oh, over to you, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great question. Uh, so, so yeah, speaking about uh, growing teams, yeah, just like in my experience, I think uh, one of the hires uh, that is left too late is probably like project management role because when the team is growing, probably it's like, okay, when it's like two or three of you uh, sitting in the room uh, uh, and developing the product is like probably not, doesn't require a lot of uh, coordination, a lot of uh, project management, but as the team grows, yeah, I think it's uh, one of those critical hires because I guess it's like more of a uh, yeah, just a, a universal thing because like different companies differ in what, what kind of roles they need to fill in in which order. But uh, it feels like project management is one of those uh, things that is often um, uh, left uh, for too late. And uh, uh, I believe like that uh, it's not always like about hiring separate person uh, who would be uh, serving in that role. Uh, sometimes it's just like, you need uh, someone from the team to take this role, but uh, to make it explicit. So, uh, so, uh, so yeah, just like you try to kind of evolve in that direction and the telltales, uh, telltale signs of it, uh, of like, of that it's too late uh, 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 or uh, not too late uh, is uh, that like when, when people are too busy to catch up, when people are too busy to get together and discuss how it's going, yeah, probably it's a good sign that's like, yeah, there is a big uh, room for, for improvement. And it's probably uh, another role that can uh, sound very similar uh, and uh, also uh, kind of uh, another critical hire, um, uh, which is, uh, uh, and there is a tendency to leave it too late. Uh, I think it's a quality assurance teams uh, QA, QA role because yeah, just like sometimes you just like want to iterate quickly at the beginning and the speed basically uh, between two metrics like speed and quality. You uh, you um, yeah pre prefer to have uh, uh, higher speed and it's like. Uh, yeah, just uh, very critical on the early stages of the company. But once you uh, become uh, like probably rich product market fit, there is a certain group of people that is kind of seeing value in the product and they uh, just like you know, paying money for, for this product. It's, 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 it's always important to ensure quality. And uh, sometimes, yeah, when, when you like feeling uh, like uh, when you hire quality assurance engineer too late, sometimes there is a bit of resistance from the team to uh, kind of uh, adopt those uh, uh, quality assurance practices and uh, uh, just like work in a fashion when uh, there is a, uh, a separate person uh, deciding wh whether it's uh, kind of this release is, uh, is good enough to be rolled out. Uh, so I think it's like another thing that, uh, yeah, just, uh, 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 yeah, sometimes it is, is left for, for too late. Uh, that's that's my opinion. Yeah, I, th I think I completely agree on the quality engineering side because that's one of those things that you tend to miss out too late and everyone's is just confident that they managed to do all the testing until it breaks. Um, the only thing that I would say around the question is I think it's a, it's very nuanced around where you're working and 
who are in the team already. So if you work in B2C or B2B, there's completely different uh, like mindset around like how do you want to handle the customer success uh, team and stuff like that, right? So I think those are nuanced. And also like depending on who's in the team already. So for example, at Fusey, both founders weren't technical um, and they started with the uh, like one or two engineers uh, and they left off the head of engineering role for six or one, um, six months or one year. And I think when I got in, they got, they got a bit of a moment of like, phew, we can delegate it to someone else, right? Um, because in reality, if you don't have this perspective, you don't have ownership around it and you have a freelance who's uh, interested in the company, but at the same time, he doesn't really know yet what you're trying to build. He doesn't speak to the customers, right? You want to bring in someone who's going to be quite close to them, who you can delegate specifically the role that can counterbalance your powers. So I think from my view, it's more around like depending who you have in the team, um, you, you basically want to add people in who are basically adding more unique skills that you don't have yet, um, from my perspective. And then I think the signs that you don't have that is basically when you get a moment when it just falls without the ownership, right? So one example we have right now is that we have uh, a customer that asked us around the DPA uh, data protection agreement, right? And we don't have anyone who's the data agreement specialist, right? So it's, it's more around like... Yeah. bouncing the ball around like okay is it falling in your domain or your or your um so we're basically trying to figure out uh who's going to be responsible for it uh obviously we're doing it together but just having this one person who's coordinating who's responsible for it who owns that i think is very important yeah, yeah I, I would agree definitely on it really depends on your business i think depending on um your strategy where you're trying to get to the skills that you need can differ hugely um i think one head that quite often gets forgotten and of course I'm going to say this is quite often the people person I think depending on the the founders leaning I was really lucky I had a, a, a CEO and a founder who wanted people support really early on to build out those practices I think for some startups it's not always the first role that they think of you know the, the signs that you have left it too late is when you start to see attrition go up or you have disgruntled employees or you have some people issues that aren't so easily fixed and I think People are excited to join a startup venture. They can put up with not having benefits in place or, you know, a particularly well-written contract or some of those sort of basic things. You know, who cares about a pension when you can go and work for a really exciting kind of uh, startup business? Uh, and, you know, quite a lot of people are like, who cares about a pension anyway? But some of those things do need to come into play. And actually, the earlier that you, you can do them, the, the more set up you are to build a culture and an environment where, as you suddenly hit that scale up and you need to attract talent really quickly, you've got an EVP that you can lean back on and you've got some stories that you can tell and you have somebody there. And it doesn't always necessarily need to be full-time support. I started doing sort of a couple of days consultancy, then I went to three days, then I went to four days. Now it's more like four and a half, five. Um, and you can kind of build that out with one really good generalist. But I think sort of outside of, of specific technical areas of expertise, um, having some of those kind of core foundations built out as early as possible can really help you if you scale quickly. And it's when you get to that pain point of sort of tipping over from being able to sit everyone in a room together and talk across a table to having larger teams, obviously with the pandemic, having remote teams and sort of how do you bring people together and how do you build culture? Um, quite often it's that people person that is is maybe last person to be thought of in some businesses, but maybe one of the first ones to think about when you are thinking about scaling. Brilliant, great, yeah. great, great, great opening question and answers. Um, I suppose back to you, Kalaki, um, what's a critical hire for, for evidence um, and what are the telltale signs you may have let, what may, companies may have left it too late? 
uh, yeah fingers, fingers crossed we haven't left too late actually, yeah <laughs> <It's not laughs> right. um but now i think victoria's point about hr and people is something that we're we're very aware of being in the world that we're in um and talent attraction and all that sort of stuff um and it's interesting to hear that you started two days a week and not full time and that actually that that wasn't necessarily something that i'd considered i thought that we would just reach a point where we now need someone to start doing all of the people stuff but you don't actually have to get to that point you can start to incrementally add some bits and pieces um i think one of the biggest step changes that we've seen for us was adding uh pete our kind of head of design brand design all of that looking back at what we looked like when it was just three engineers building something and what it looks like today is just astronomical and i think we probably left that a little bit too late um but then the dramatic change when he did join has been you know even more rewarding i guess so perhaps it wasn't too late brilliant guys well let's go over to your question andrew yeah uh so my question is uh, how to control your technical depth as you scale yeah so i, I sorry uh yeah I, I thought about this question for for a long time and i honestly don't think there's like an easy way to control it i haven't heard any good answers or good articles about like how to actually do it because we're we're all people right and uh you know if it works then you always have a like you always forget about things that are working properly right um the one thing that i i i, I realized when i started working in fusi is that there is a discussion to have when you do this so if you acknowledge the tech depth while it's happening right i think it's very beneficial around like what what's the worst thing that can happen if this breaks right so one of the examples that we, i can give personally is uh we have the uh we have a payment solutions right and we have uh open banking integration with the Apple. Uh, what it basically means is that we provide bank-to-bank -bank transfers through our platform, right? Uh, and one thing that they didn't have is the communication around, like, what's the status of the payment after the customer paid, right? So this confirmation that customer was uh, payment was already successful, right? Um, so just because they didn't have it and the chances of payment succeeding after customer paid is, like, 99%, we realized that, you know what, we're just going to assume that all of them are going to be successful. And then if any of them is stuck, then we just... Uh, acknowledging the fact that it's like one percent that is failing and we're fine with it right and then as soon as they add this uh webhook integration right that allows us to basically mark them specifically as paid when they are paid then we just fix it right we have two beneficial things around like one you understand what's the downside and the second one you have a specific event that tells you when you can actually change this tech depth right so i think the best advice that I can give is the trying to realize, can you actually afford to have a tech debt? Because if it's your critical business thing, you probably don't want to risk it uh, breaking, right? Because it's a customer reputation, right? Um, and the second thing is around like, is there any chance I can somehow notify myself, right? When it's the time for me to fix it, right? And most of the time it's going to be no, because the tech debt is happening when you're trying to release something very fast. You're on the brink of uh, potentially company failing, right? You want to deliver something faster than your competitors, right? Um, so I, I think... I think it's just as, as long as you acknowledge it, I think it's much better because you understand what's the downsides of it potentially breaking and then it make, can guide you towards the decision if it's worth it to yeah. take that or not. I mean, this one is clearly not in my wheelhouse in terms of kind of core expertise, but I did have a good chat with our new CTO <laughs> about it as well. And I, I think definitely having felt the growing pains of, you know, making some tech stack decisions early on when we were focused in, in one way as a business in terms of e-com and then becoming more tech enabled. 
has definitely left us with some areas where this is really quite a, a kind of pertinent question. And I think really the first thing is, is that you expect it. And it's, you know, it's something that I think every scale up, every um, startup business expects to have. Um, and as you scale, it's understanding which bits you need to leverage, which, which are the priorities. So you know, for, for us, it's around our platform and how do we kind of leverage a change of our legacy systems onto a new platform, which is going to unlock so much more than we can do um, in a, so currently. And if we don't do that, then kind of everything else is is kind of not really worth doing. So, you know, I think it's, it's you know, as Arsene says, you you have to acknowledge it, you have to have a plan, and then it's about prioritising. Where do you prioritise the biggest things that are going to have an impact on your scale and on your growth, but also on your customers as well? And what are the really sticky points for the customers and how do you kind of address those first? And knowing that you can't kind of pay it all off in one go, you've just got to pick the things that are going to stop you from scaling and growing, deal with those, and then keep reprioritising and keep having those conversations. Like I say, not necessarily my wheelhouse, but um, I'm sure our CTO could could uh, could talk more eloquently about it. Um, but equally, again, to Arsene's point, even when I was speaking to him, uh, he was saying that there is no kind of playbook for how you do it. Um, there's nothing out there that's kind of a, a tried and tested true method for, for dealing with it. And it is very situational and very down to industry business and kind of what you want to achieve. <laughs> I thought it was me then. Uh, apologies. Is that any better? Yeah. Much better. Uh, so I was just saying the, uh, I think it's it should be in the definition of a startup is that you acknowledge that you are accumulating debt constantly that you're going to have to pay off at some point, probably on the next funding round or the next time you get a big customer. Um, but the keeping track of what corners you're cutting when you're doing it. So acknowledging it and keeping a note of it and and perhaps putting it in a shared calendar so that you know when you're hoping to pay those things back. And it doesn't necessarily need to be on the same backlog as the product backlog, but just like, and I think as the engineering lead, that's something that you need to kind of own and kind of keep track of yourself. Um, and then I guess that kind of comes on to something that might bring Victoria back into this, which is a, a term I heard um, a little while back, which is organizational debt. So not not hiring for those senior positions, um, not uh, like having an engineering manager missing or not having kind of documented hiring processes and all of that sort of stuff. That, that's that's all debt that as startup founders, we kind of have to kind of cut corners on perhaps, but we have to acknowledge as well that at some point we're going to have to kind of fix that and pay that, pay that debt back. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Guys, and, oh, and oh, Andrew... How to, how to control your technical debt as you, as you scale. Yeah, already uh, uh, many, many really good points already raised. Uh, so yeah, actually my answer, I guess, is somewhat uh, aligned with Clark's uh, answer to it. Uh, so I think, yeah, just, uh, yeah, uh, there is no uh, uh, like uh, kind of uh, the best strategy for controlling it. It's, it's always a unique decision for every company. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, yeah, just like, especially like for startups when you when you start and sometimes it happens when you start with MVP and uh, basically a prototype of your product idea or service and then it kind of starts uh, iterating and sometimes you need to pivot several times before you reach um, product market fit and uh, this path, this journey means that uh, you have uh, quite a lot of uh, technical depth by, by the time you, you reach uh, product market fit and uh, define what, what, what your core value is, uh, especially when you do pivots. It basically means that like, uh, 
eventually you use your system for the purposes that it wasn't designed for uh, initially uh, right uh, uh, so um, I think uh, yeah just I don't have uh, universal uh, recipe here but uh, I, I think it's it should be um, um, an agreement between uh, business and engineering leaders uh, within the company what what is the moment in time when you uh, uh, define what is a core value uh, of this company what is uh, kind of a backbone of this product or service and when uh, when you uh, and it's always a moving target right because the product is evolving uh, you add uh, uh, new features you add uh, you like start serving new groups of customers so like it's always a moving target but I think uh, it's it should be um, uh, an agreement between business leaders and engineering leaders what is the moment of time when you define what is core value and uh you should just uh uh like probably a good good advice is just like to once it's defined what is core value to is to get it right and uh just to uh, make sure that you don't have like a lot of technical depth related to uh, uh to your core value in, in the first place and probably uh, in other areas of your product or company where you still uh kind of uh uh, growing rapidly and uh, uh, things changing rapidly. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's fine to have uh, uh, a lot of technical depth because again, you want to optimize speed there. Uh, and uh, yeah, so like uh, in my experience, uh, for I guess it's probably some advice for later stages uh, of companies. Uh, uh, like sometimes you don't have like luxury of just like devoting a uh, substantial uh, period of time to optimizing or uh, to improving certain parts of the system. You, you need kind of uh, kind of fix uh, wings of the aircraft while it's flying uh, in, in, in many cases. So uh, uh, I guess a good strategy here is to uh, reserve a certain amount of time in every sprint if you follow Scrum methodology for paying back technical depth. And in our teams, we try to reserve at least 20% uh, of time uh, for uh, any like pay, paying back technical debt and also uh, some of the bigger uh, initiators probably don't kind of be uh, uh, like when you need to kind of deliver something some more substantial improvements it's also uh, great to have just like to listen to your team and have like uh, open open discussions of what uh, are the areas uh, that you need to improve and just like probably putting them into like your OKRs list or whatever framework you use for planning and just like uh, uh, reserving some time in your uh, projects uh, plan for quarter uh, if like you have a pure quarter planning uh, to to pay it back. So that's my thoughts on this. Yeah, one, one thing sorry, to, to add is uh, I just remember that when I was back in WISE and we had some issues around the, like the platform uh, stability, right? One of the things that we did is we restructured uh, the company. So what what uh, was happening is basically we try to pick one person from different teams, uh, those that are performing quite good, right? And we try to mix them into the new, new team that's going to be responsible purely for bringing this uh, piece of code that is not performing well, right? Or like anywhere that you have performance issues, you would just dedicate the specific team for it and you make them own this problem, right? And as soon as you have this ownership, you can always basically see the progress in there, right? Uh, because I think one of the problems with StackDep is uh, sometimes it's just falls in between multiple teams and then no action is happening um so yeah restructuring is one of the things that i would suggest for later companies as well actually one of the roles, uh, I, I'm sorry, one of the roles i've had at, um in a in a previous job was it was it was very kind of fluid um almost i think i was a, the, the solo person doing what you you described your team doing arson um where i described it a bit of like a sweeper so um in football um i just i just went wherever i was needed to kind of fill fill the gaps 
um, and whether that was kind of helping one team deliver something really quickly or whether it was actually kind of fixing some architectural pieces or kind of coming up with new ways of, of working any of that that was where kind of I my role kind of fit in um, it was a fun role uh, quite challenging at times but yeah quite varied all right so that brings me into my question uh, which is very similar to yours Andy um, but I wanted to ask, how do you decide when to bring in a new person into the company? So not necessarily a critical hire, but just the signs where you think, okay, I need this person doing this right now. Um, so. Definitely back in my field of expertise, I think here, and I think linking very much to the point that you just made around, you know, how do you restructure businesses and companies to deal with the issues that you have? Um, you know, that organizational design piece is key and that's where you can really leverage people partnering and people expertise and, and input when you've got that person kind of working and supporting the business. I think you know, having an organizational design plan that overlays onto your strategy or just having a plan in general is is generally a good way of approaching it. And I think there's there's kind of two or three ways of looking at it. You don't want to necessarily um, fall into that trap of more work, more people, more work, more people. It's really easy in startup just to keep scaling, 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 scaling without necessarily taking a step back and just checking in on actually is there a process that needs fixing rather than having another person come in? Um, is there something that's not working you know, as optimally as it could that's meaning that it's taking more time from more people to fix it? Um, is there automation that you can bring in that is going to stop you from having to kind of keep hiring heads as well? There's also the other way of looking at it is that sometimes you do have to acknowledge where you carry some fat in the organization. So maybe not waiting until when is the right time to bring in an engineering manager, but how am I going to leverage having that engineering manager in place? Maybe a few months before we need them to make sure that we can scale at the point that we need to. So for us, it's always been about looking at our strategy, looking at the levers that we need to pull, and then looking at the organizational design. A, do you have the skills and expertise within your current team? And are they organized in a way that's going to help them deal with that problem or deal with that um, kind of growth mechanism as and when we need them to? Is there a skills gap? Can you train that skills gap up internally? Or do you need to hire for it externally? Um, and then looking at your systems and processes, is there anything that can be optimized before you then decide to bring in that headcount? Um, and also acknowledging that sometimes you do need some roles in for a short period of time. So utilizing different ways of bringing people in or recognizing that actually we might have more people in this team for now. It will be a, a sort of larger headcount until we get X, Y and Z fixed. And then we will need to reorg, we will need to restructure and you probably have a slightly leaner team in there in the future. And then you can start thinking about where you deploy some of that expertise across the business um, as and when that time comes. So I, I think first and foremost, what's your strategy and then how does your organisational design and your hiring plan layer on top of that? Um, and again, acknowledge that you won't always get it right. Um, you're not always going to make the right hires, but, you know, actually, again, constantly having that review and being able to kind of take a step back, you know, we've hired these people, are we actually doing what we said we were going to do? Are there any blockers that we've come across? Um, and it might be as simple as reorganising the skill set and the resource that you have already, rather than hiring new heads. Equally, when you're scaling, there are those times when you just need to get a bunch of people in really quickly otherwise you're not going to be able to deliver on what you need to do but actually being out in front of that i think really helps yeah i think um to kind of echo what victoria said working backwards from company business goals 
and then working out what you need, what you want to, what need and want to achieve over the next six, 12 months. Uh, and then looking at whether like physically you have enough people or the right people to deliver that, that kind of product roadmap or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, the other bit that I think is important is, is looking at those competencies, those core skills that you need to deliver on that roadmap. Um, and so actually that's where that might kind of come back to you, Victoria, but, um, what those first offs hires. So if you've never, never hired a marketing person in your life, how do you, how do you know what you're looking for? You know, you kind of, you've identified that you're going to be doing some marketing. Maybe you've identified that you need someone in that role or you need, you now need a department. Maybe what's the first person you hire and how do you go about doing that? Um, and they're the really, really risky ones. And I think probably the ones that go wrong the most, I don't know. Um, I think somewhere we've got a stat that's 85% of HR leaders admit to making a hiring mistake. Um, I find, I find that remarkably low actually, but hundred <laughs> percent of all leaders admitting to making a hiring mistake. Anyone who's ever hired any team. Um, who says that they've always got it 100% right would be lying. But I think it's, you know, especially in a scaling business, you know, you, yeah. you don't necessarily know if the person that you're hiring is going to be a long-term right fit. It, it's impossible. Yeah. And I think keeping track of what went wrong and why it went wrong and learning from those mistakes, as, as we do with engineering, monitoring and measuring, um, doing that for your organisational growth is it as important as just for your tech debt? And one thing I didn't talk about is, is the culture piece as well. You know, actually thinking about when you're hiring, what type of culture and what type of person is going to help you embed and grow that culture as well. You know, do you need specific skill sets, but also specific attributes as well that you want somebody who's going to be able to come and actually leverage a particular area of the culture or help you build a particular behavior set that you're trying to embed within the organization yeah, it, it also ties to what you mentioned around like do you allow the quality like qualified people inside your company to basically change the specialization right because you already know that culturally they fit because they're already in the company so it's a lot of a uh, like it's a lot of stress out straight away because you already know that it's basically checked already right yeah, uh, so yeah, I'll probably, from my side, I'll probably echo some of the points already uh, raised. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, thinking about how do we decide when to bring new people, I guess it's uh, uh, always uh, uh, a question, like you need to place leader uh, of this team or organization who like uh, understands what is the uh, strategy of the company and what is the right uh, structure that you need to have in place uh, to 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 deliver on the strategy and it's uh, like basically like you define uh, some roles uh, that that you need to have in place uh, to in order to, to deliver on the strategy and then you kind of yeah you there are different paths how to pursue this you can uh, uh, just uh, yeah uh, you have uh, you can have internal transitions when someone uh, changes specialization. You can have external hires, and someone can wear se several hats. Uh, what happens uh, in startups, uh, and you need to track uh, basically mental capacity of people, and like uh, just avoid like uh, uh, burnouts, and uh, just like making sure that uh, we're not kind of forcing people to uh, to to play in roles they are not comfortable playing, uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, uh, going from there. Yeah, I, th I think. You can see it, especially in the in the early stage startups, that you have a lot of people that are I call like Swiss Army nice people uh, that do a lot of different things, right? Uh, you have to be careful there. I, I think one of the signs that I see in the startup uh, is around when you spend more time on other things that you specialized on, right, than on actual uh, like for example, 
in our situation, I don't think it makes sense when you have 10 people and you have four engineers who know how to do uh, analytics uh, to bring in the specific analytics person, right? Um, but I definitely think that as soon as I'm gonna get to the place where it takes like half of my time or like 40% of my time, I'm gonna be like, okay, this is enough. We need to bring in this person because I cannot own this because I don't have time for any other things that I'm doing, right? Um, but I definitely think it's around, okay, where do you spend time? Uh, how much do you spend there, right? It's related to your actual title. And as soon as it gets uh, into the trend that you don't like, I think that's when you can start questioning if we should bring in a new person. And another side that I wanna bring in is that, obviously if you try to grow sustainably, you also need to look at the finances, right? So you need to look into like, can we actually afford a new person right now? Does the growth that we have right now allow us to bring a new person um, in place? And if not, what's gonna be the cost on our side? So it's, I think you can always get to the place where you can measure in costs what bringing a new person and what not bringing a new person is going to cost you. And that is just a question around like, what time are you looking at? Because if you're trying to survive for another year to raise a round, it's a completely different question when you have secured your funding and you have five years one way. Thanks, guys. Great. Oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, there's a super interesting piece around those Swiss Army knife people as well. You know, you have a lot more of, sort of generalists, for want of a better word, when you have early startup, people who can put on many hats. And as you scale, sometimes the most difficult thing is bringing in those new people because actually you need depth rather than breadth. Um, and then how do you take those Swiss Army knives on the journey where actually they're handing off some of their, what they see as being their role. They built this from scratch. It's, it's their baby. They've owned it. They've really helped develop it. And now you're asking them to give it to someone else. And um, I think that kind of career path management, that people management, that communication is one of those key things. You've got these people who've really helped you scale an organization and they can see it as being that there is a narrowing of their responsibility and their role, but actually you need them to just go deeper into a particular area or you need to bring a specialist in to, to really help you scale in a particular team or department or specialism. Um, and that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges that we've faced. That's one of our biggest growing pains is how do you take your organisation from what's essentially a team of generalists and people who roll their sleeves up and can get kind of stuck into anything to having more specialists within the organisation and, and how that feels to some of those people. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, really interesting question. And I always thought it was the recruit recruiter's fault when, when companies made a wrong hire. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, let's go to the final question today, Victoria, over to you. Yeah, so my question is very much around that culture piece. So how do you scale um, and grow an authentic culture as you scale and grow an organisation? Um, I think, so there's, there's two parts to your question. I think one is pre and one is post COVID, right? There's a, there's, it's a lot harder now that you're, most people aren't working in offices as much as they, they were if at all um there's there's very much a push for remote first teams if not fully remote teams um we're we're a remote first business but i'm in an office because i don't have anywhere to work at home anymore because of my little boy um but it's uh i think it's about still making sure that you get the team together as as and when is necessary um and so actually we've had we try and get the whole team together once a month but actually during a concerted kind of product push or kind of a concerted effort in a certain area will get everyone in far more frequently um and that's obviously a cost to the business but it's not a it's, it's part of the benefits of everybody being remote is that you know there is you are flexible with that in terms of the culture it's a little bit it, 
I guess it depends on what your what your culture is and how you kind of facilitate it. But um, I think it is challenging when you're when you're you are growing to, to kind of keep that culture um, because you've got different people hiring now for you know at the early days it's just the CEO hiring people then maybe two or three other people um, as you kind of widen your kind of your surface area of the kind of the responsibilities of hiring how do you make sure that your team are hiring to the same standards for your company values and also the competencies as well two separate engineering teams could be hiring for the same role and interviewing for different levels um, and that can cause friction within the business it, it's probably um difficult when it comes to performance reviews later down the line um yeah i don't think it's uh, i haven't got any silver bullets for this one unfortunately yeah right uh, so yeah for my side i think uh yeah just uh again uh like in the old days of the company it's uh like hard to to define what the culture is because like uh, things changing rapidly and it's like uh, uh when it's like three of you five of you ten of you is probably yeah like very too early to to figure this out because you like you have like too many other things uh to worry about uh, but i think yeah we speak about uh, like just uh challenges of companies like turning into scale ups uh uh and i think uh, when you become uh transition from being like startup to to scale up i guess it's a it's it's a it's it's a right moment to to have uh, to define what uh, what the culture is, uh, and uh, one way of doing this is to have uh, like deep uh, deep conversation uh, within the team, probably starting with conversation among leaders of the company, and then having just val validating those uh, cultural values together with the wider company. And uh, yeah, just uh, and I, I think it's it's very important to to approach it uh, very uh, like sincerely and seriously uh, because like many companies out there are just like uh, just taking templates from the internet with some sort of like cultural values for some random companies out there and just like adjusting them for uh, what feels right for, for, for the specific company. But I think it's always better to start with uh, just, uh, uh, yeah, just uh, with a whiteboard uh, with, with nothing and just like reason from there, uh, having a deep conversation, uh, defining what's, uh, what, what, what are the great things that makes uh, culture of this company unique and just defining things that uh, truly resonate with everyone uh, in the company. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, another thing is just like speaking about maintaining uh, authentic culture. I think uh, one of the things that worked uh, in my team uh, before is, uh, and in our current company, we had uh, this initiative to have uh, uh, bodies uh, when you have uh, uh, just like a direct manager of a new joiner, but also you have a body, uh, ideally from a different team, a person who's uh, not uh, like probably helping your with your duties with just like your uh, onboarding in your uh, specialization, but rather uh, helps uh, to just uh, get comfortable in, in this company uh, and uh, uh, be uh, uh, just uh, uh, understand this culture better through conversations, through uh, discussing different things. So uh, yeah, like this uh, concept of having bodies uh, uh, for every new joiner uh, works uh, works uh, really well in that sense. Yeah, I, th I think you also want to promote a bit your culture publicly before you hire. Um, so basically making sure that everyone who's applying is aware of what type of culture you have, right? Um, basically being also like giving the positive feedback around like suggestions towards the uh, the culture, right? What kind of a mission, what kind of a vision, what do we want to have in this company, right? So the more you allow people to be like uh, open-minded about it and just giving suggestions and I think the, 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 the better it would be to grow it as well. Um, and another thing is to 
um, I think at, at our case, right, we have every quarterly session. Well, I mean, we're a very small startup. We have like 12 people. So we, we're trying to nail around like what vision we have and what we actually uh, try to incentivize in our company, right? So I think a lot of things in the world are based on incentives, right? So if you're, you you basically uh, incentivize it in your, in your pay raise or in your incentivize in your, uh, like every time you promote someone who uh, fits the culture, right? Fits the values of the company. I think it gives off a good sign around like, okay, I need to, uh, I understand why we need those, right? I understand that it gets promoted in the company, right? So that's, that's allowing it to keep on the same level and trying to grow it as well. Um, so, yeah. Great. That's very, very useful. Um, I think I'd, I'd sort of echo some of that. This this is the thing that keeps me up at night, like how do you scale a culture? And I think, Clarky, to your point, like pre and post pandemic, like it's not been a fun time for HR, let's be honest, the last couple of years. So how do you keep your employees healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy, um, engaged in the business as well? Then when everyone was kind of free to leave their homes, we had the great resignation, people trying to kind of move jobs and thinking about giving it all up and going to be a llama farmer in Dorset or something. You know, people just really wanting that that kind of big change. Um, I, I think, you know, we've worked really hard on, on culture. I think for us, it's around understanding that culture is an evolution and people being aware that you can't expect it to be the same culture when there was 12 of you, you could all go out for dinner together, you could all sit around the table and talk about strategy. And that as the business scales and grows, you might feel further away from strategic conversations, for example, um, but that's completely normal. Um, and kind of facing into what are their kind of typical pain points, the kind of hitting 50 employees, hitting 100 employees, hitting 150, 200, you know, those kind of natural pain points where you know everything feels a little bit jangly for a couple of months and and really kind of leaning into the comms and making sure that you're kind of communicating to people that we know this feels a bit weird we're growing and this is what we're doing about it and I think when you talked about kind of how do you kind of back it up through kind of promotions and um, thinking about how you reward the behavior that you want to see we worked really hard on values so actually having organizational values which we're currently embedding through a kind of two-day boot camp which is bringing cross-functional teams together in person in an off-site venue to run through uh, you know, kind of full days, um, really experiential learning on our values. And then re-looking at things like our performance framework. So we have sort of two sides to it. One is the what and one is the how. You could be technically brilliant at your role, but if you're not living in our values and leading our values, then you're not going to progress within the organisation. So the how is equally as important um, as what you do as well. Um, but yeah, there is no silver bullet. I'm still desperately looking for it. But I think it's it's down to to kind of understanding what's important within your organisation and listening. We do regular pulse surveys. We talk about employee engagement. We measure engagement. Um, we have you know, listening groups, all of those things. And hopefully have just created an environment where if there is something that people are unhappy about, they are going to speak up. They are going to come and talk to us about it. And then we can look at you know, is this a, a kind of cultural thing that we need to address? So is it just a small blip in the road of, of scaling? Um, is it a natural growing pain or is it something that we want to, to kind of fix? Um, but like I say, it, it's ever evolving. Um, I don't think culture stands still. Like every new person that you hire into the business is going to change your culture in some small way. So making sure that your hiring processes include that culture fit piece making sure that you're kind of thinking about culture as you scale and, and being um, intentional about it 
it shouldn't evolve organically. Some elements of it will, but creating those touch points, getting the team together on a regular basis, actually having that kind of cadence that allows people to feel that connection uh, is so much more important coming out of the pandemic as well. I think you know, remote first is great. We we operate hybrid. Um, I I'm not a person I think that could work fully remotely. I, I need that kind of human connection. Um, and I think as many people who say oh, I'd be so happy sitting in my room doing my job every day, actually when you do bring them together with their colleagues in a kind of physical space, mm-hmm. they all feed back that they get so much out of it. Um, and as human beings, we are not meant to sit in between four walls and not connect with other people. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of one of the things that we're really trying to to, to leverage. Yeah, I, I completely agree around um, bringing. Like, I, I think it's completely fair to leave the option around. Uh, like, you can decide if you want to work remotely or if you want to per- work in person. We're all different people, right? We all have our preferences. And if the company is doing one or another, I don't think it's wrong. It's just like you find another company that fits your. Uh, your preferences, right? But I think it's very important to have some sort of a, like a meetup. I don't know if it's once a year or once a quarter, but I do think you need that human touch that brings the whole company together and you spend time in person with those people. And usually uh, those are like very heartwarming uh, meetups as well, especially if you work with someone for like a year or half a year. Um, so yeah, I do, I do definitely think that it's, uh, I think if you do that, your culture will improve definitely. I think that's one of the factors that you can have a good culture, but if you have that on top of it, I think it's only going to improve it. Brilliant, guys. Does anyone have any of your final questions for each other or anything to add? Well, yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyable podcast. It's uh, you know, been been a pleasure to host and to hear some yes, really, really insightful comments from you guys. Um, yeah, and in terms of a live podcast without being in between four walls or or five screens, it'd be good to do a live podcast down in London um, if any of you guys would be up for it again or anyone listening. Um, so today we covered um, critical hires and telltale signs, um, whether you, if you left it too late, um, controlling technical debts, um, how and what to decide when hiring into a new company, and how can you grow and evolve an authentic culture as you scale. Um, if anyone listening would like to be in, be part of a future podcast, please approach me directly on LinkedIn or email me on michael.sullivan at evolution.contract.co.uk. Cheers, guys. See you soon. Thank you.